out there. Welcome to another exciting episode of the only podcast on the World Wide Web that tells you the truth about the mental health professions, diagnoses, psychiatric medications, psychology, therapy, and so on and so forth. So, have I told you that I take requests? Yes, I do. I take requests, I mean. So if you have an idea for this podcast, let me know. I don't take all requests, mind you, but I do take requests. So request away. A mother somewhere in America has done exactly that. She beseeches, which means to request with great feeling and emphasis that I reveal the ancient formula for potty training a two-year-old. She also asks that I tell her how to stop her two-year-old from being aggressive toward her one-year-old. So I'll begin with toilet training, about which I have written a book titled Toilet Training Without Tantrums. I'm not going to save you from reading the book, which is out of print, but can still be obtained as a used book on Amazon, but I will give the main points which I'll begin doing by saying emphatically and unequivocally, do not wait until your child is two years old, that's 24 months, to toilet train. I beseech you, in fact, I know, waiting until two, even two and a half, even three, even three and a half, standard operating procedure in today's parenting culture. In America, that is, 99% of pediatricians and 99% of psychologists and other mental health types tell parents to wait past a child's second birthday to begin toilet training. Long past, in fact. Six months to a year past. They claim, without the slightest shred of credible evidence, that toilet training before age two is doomed to failure. And if it does happen to succeed, it's at the price of the child in question growing up burdened with all manner of psychological demons. Again, there is not the slightest iota of credible evidence that toilet training a pre-two-year-old child is psychologically perilous. Consider In the 1950s, the last decade during which almost all children were trained before their second birthdays, the mental health of children was at least 10 times better than it is today. I'm sure that had more to do with things other than toilet training, but still, toilet training must have been a factor The very notion that toilet training is fraught with psychological landmines is hogwash, folks. It's no more psychologically hazardous than the process of teaching a child to use a spoon to feed himself. You don't watch for and worry about 
spoon readiness signs, do you? Of course not. You don't approach spoon training with anxiety, do you? Of course not. Well, then simply bring that same calm confidence to toilet training. That is the ancient secret in question. So let me ask a question. Is it easier to house train a four-month-old puppy or a one-year-old dog? And everyone says, oh, the four-month-old puppy, right. It is easier, much, much easier, in fact, to house train the four-month-old puppy. If you wait until the dog is a year old to begin house training, the dog's habit of peeing and pooping wherever and whenever will be so ingrained, you will pay the devil teaching the dog a new set of tricks. You may end up with a dog who continues to pee and poo in your house when he's three or four or longer, even. What are the pediatricians and psychologists in question thinking? Their ding-dong advice on toilet training is causing parents boatloads upon boatloads of unnecessary anxiety and frustration while at the same time making them, said pediatricians and psychologists, that is, boatloads of money. Helping parents with boatloads of problems their advice caused. Actually, the money is being made mostly by psychologists, because by the time parents come to their pediatricians pulling their hair out because their kids don't seem to be getting the fundamentals of using toilets, the pediatricians pass on the problem by referring the parents to psychologists. Like the problem is psychological. Yuck, yuck, yuck. The psychologists in question, especially those who take said kids into bogus therapy of one bogus sort or another, need to have their heads examined, not the kids in question. Children should be toilet trained completely, over and done with by their second birthdays. In the mid-1950s, Harvard, in conjunction with several other unnecessarily expensive places to send your kids, found that close to 90% of American children, 24 months of age, 24 months of age, had been accident-free for a month, which means toilet training began back then in the 1950s and before at between 18 and 22 months on average. Our children trained? Simple. They were told in calm but no uncertain terms, to put their pee and poop in the toilet. When a child had an accident, he was not told it was all right, which is what parents tell their kids today. He was told it was not all right. Not angrily, mind you, but sternly, forcefully. And he was made to clean up the mess. Today, a psychologist might tell a parent who uses the 1950s approach to toilet training that she's traumatizing her child, which is simply more proof that psychologists, especially when it comes to children, are full of hogwash. As I said, I've written an entire book, Toilet Training Without Tantrums, on the subject, so I'm not going to reinvent the wheel here. Read the book. It's nothing more than a spin 
on how children were toilet trained before people with capital letters after their names began inventing and scaring parents half to death with toilet training boogeymen. Like pediatrician T. Barry Brazelton, for example, who came up with what he called, quote, child-centered toilet training, end quote. Brazelton proposed that toilet training shouldn't even be attempted until a child exhibited 10 readiness signs. How did Brazelton come up with the 10 readiness signs in question? He pulled them out of his head. He made them up. Brazelton claimed, for example, that flushing pee and poop down the toilet could be traumatic for a child who had not developed something called object permanence, which Brazelton said didn't develop until a child was at least two years old. At least. Wrong. Object permanence develops between nine and 12 months, folks. Furthermore, there's zero evidence that object permanence has anything to do with the success of toilet training or that children are traumatized by seeing their poop get flushed down the toilet. But because Brazelton was a Harvard professor and chief of pediatrics at Boston Children's Hospital, one of the most prestigious children's hospitals in America to this day, no one thought to disagree with him. Not publicly, anyway. And so his child-centered toilet training advice, which amounted to the ding-dong notion that children would train themselves when they were ready to be trained, was promoted by pediatricians and still is. And as a result, a process that used to take three days to a week quickly turned into a parent's most anxiety-arousing and frustration-producing hurdle of the preschool years. Today, it's not unusual to find a child of three or even four who isn't using the toilet reliably. That's the sort of price, folks, we are paying for listening to professional advice when it comes to raising children. Except mine, that is, but then my advice isn't really mine. It's usually nothing more than what your great-grandmother would have given you. It's just old-school common sense. I hope. I am told. Most people who read my toilet training book and do what I say tell me it took three days to a week to train their child. But keep in mind, one of the things I say is... Toilet train before your child's second birthday, or you may end up with a one-year-old dog on your hands. Read the book. Okay, so to the second question from the mother in question, how can I, she asks, prevent my two-year-old from aggressing toward my one-year-old? Separate them. Keep the one-year-old in one room behind baby gates like it's a big playpen. Toss a lot of toys in there. And keep the two-year-old out of there. And tell him he can't go into the baby's room because he hurts the baby. 
And no, that's not going to cause the two-year-old to develop a psychological problem, be resentful of his younger sibling or any other such ding-dong hogwash. It's going to prevent the two-year-old from hurting the one-year-old. And it's going to make the two-year-old want to be with his younger sibling. And he's eventually going to figure out, aha, if I want to be with my younger sibling, I must not hurt him. So, separate them completely for about two weeks and then allow the two-year-old into the one-year-old's playpen room for a short period of time. If he gets rough, stay cool, calm, and collected. Separate them again for a week, then try it again. Eventually, the two-year-old is going to stop behaving aggressively toward the infant. How do I know? Well, I've been recommending that approach to that problem, which is common to toddlers if they have, you know, infant siblings for years. And I've never, not once, heard of it failing. Again, it's not my advice. Something your great-grandmother would have told you. Last week, I spoke on the madness that has infiltrated American childbearing since I was a child. Without exception, the madness has been manufactured by mental health and medical professionals. Don't forget, as I say that, that I am a psychologist. I am licensed by the state of North Carolina to practice psychology. When I say that 99% of the parenting advice that's come out of the mental health and medical professions over the last 50 years is madness, I know what I'm talking about, folks. I know because as a result of my graduate school indoctrination, my wife and I were swept up in the madness for the first 10 years or so of my career. And then We had an awakening. I've spoken of it many times. And I rejected the madness. And because I had a national platform, my nationally syndicated newspaper column, which appeared at the time in probably 750 newspapers around the United States of America before half of them discovered that I was a Christian and a political conservative and canceled me. Until that time, the powers that be, or after that time, the powers that be in the mental health professions came after me with a vengeance. Once they realized I was no longer promoting the party line, they came after me, folks, with a vengeance. They tried to cancel me. They tried to take my license away. They refused to let me join their professional organizations concerning which a quote from Groucho Marx comes to mind. They forced me to allow other psychologists to read my columns before I printed them, and so on. What reason explains the vengeance other than I was telling the public what the powers that be did not want the public to hear? Mostly I was telling people what I'm going to tell you right now. Psychology does not qualify as a science. When you see a psychologist about your child, or heaven forbid, take your child to see a psychologist, that's not like taking your child to a doctor. Physicians are medical scientists. Psychologists are philosophers who embrace a point of view concerning human behavior that's never, never, 
ever been confirmed by scientific research and evidence. When it comes to children, psychologists don't know what they're talking about. There may be exceptions. I'm sure there are. But I've been doing what I'm doing for 50 years. And I have found few exceptions. And they have been far between. Psychology has caused more problems than it's solved, or that your average psychologist even knows how to solve. Psychologists hide their ineptitude behind their standard routine of giving bogus tests, giving bogus diagnoses, and prescribing or recommending bogus medication. Tests that mean whatever psychologists want them to mean. Diagnoses that have no medical or scientific validity. Medications that have never reliably outperformed placebos in clinical trials. Since American parents began taking their marching orders from people in the mental health professions, all of whom practice psychology, by the way, regardless of what they call themselves, family therapists, clinical social workers, blah, 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 they're all the same. Since American parents began taking their marching orders from those people, the mental health of children has plummeted. The mental health of kids today is 10 times worse. And that's probably a conservative figure than the mental health of children in the 1950s. When I was a kid and before, I went to a high school of 5,000 students in the suburbs of Chicago, folks. Proviso West High School. During the four years I was there at Proviso West, no one committed suicide. No one had to be removed from school because of anorexia or an anxiety disorder, clinical depression. And my high school experience was not unique. It's not a one-off. My experience is echoed by everyone, and I mean everyone my age with whom I have ever spoken concerning this subject. Our parents, members of the so-called greatest generation, raised us early baby boomers according to principles that came straight out of the Bible. Even atheist parents, my parents, for example, even atheist parents, Raise children according to biblical values. They probably didn't realize they were doing so, but they were. Our mental health wasn't perfect, but our mental health as a group was 10 times better than the mental health of today's kids. When I was a child, nobody my age was seeing a therapist or even needed to see one. Today's kids, nearly all of them are going to see a therapist before they're 16. And the mental health of children, despite all the therapy, despite all the pharmaceuticals, despite all the screening procedures, the mental health of today's kids has gone down the toilet. We need to wake up, people. America's public schools are trying purposefully to corrupt our children and grandchildren. Many of America's churches I'll call them out, the Episcopal Church, the United Methodist Church, the Presbyterian Church USA, and others have embraced woke values and gone over to the dark, 
dark side. They can't be trusted with teaching our children and grandchildren sound principles of living. I mean, there are actually churches in America that are hosting drag shows and drag story hours for children. The implicit message of which is, hey, kids, if you want to have some real fun, the LGBTQ plus lifestyle is the place for you. America's schools and churches are trying to corrupt our children and grandchildren, not all, some, many, lots. By telling them lies about gender and human sexuality, and America's mental health industry is trying to corrupt our children by telling them lies about themselves, lies that involve bogus diagnoses and bogus medications and bogus therapies. Telling you folks, lying to children has become an industry in this country. Karl Marx understood that the way to destroy a culture was through the hearts and minds of children. Mao Zedong understood that. Hitler understood that. Stalin understood that. Don't ever say it could never happen in America, folks. Because listen, it's already happening. I started this podcast by talking about toilet training and ended by talking about how the woke movement is trying to corrupt our children. Those two topics don't seem on the surface of things to be connected, but they are. They're both lies. Lies are what you're getting from mental health professionals concerning toilet training and just about everything else regarding children. And lies are what the woke, the woke movement is all about. So I'm glad you joined me again, or for the first time, and hope your mind was stimulated and challenged, and that you will continue to join me every week. Please help me out here by spreading the word to your friends and relatives, and even your favorite liberals. I'd love to drive them crazy. I will end this week's podcast with a pertinent quote from Hedley Lamar. If you can still find it, the quote is from the movie Blazing Saddles, which in my estimation is one of the greatest movies ever. And it's certainly anti-woke. Hedley Lamar said, My mind is a raging torrent, flooded with rivulets of thought cascading into a waterfall of creative alternatives. Sometimes I feel a lot like Headley. Keep on rocking in the free world, people. <laughs> <laughs>